HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Leonard Phillips, who is the owner of Ambassador Wines and Spirits in Midtown, which opened 43 years ago. Leonard took over the business in 2008 and made it into one of the best liquor stores in New York City. The James Beard Award-winning website, Serious Seats, describes Ambassador Wines and Spirits as Do go to this shop when you are seeking out something unusual or obscure or when you want to stumble upon something entirely new to you. They taste every product before it's sold at the shop. This policy means that Ambassador team makes thoughtful, personal recommendations. An ambassador is the liquor store. I wish I had in my neighborhood you find yourself wanting to hang out there, even if you don't really need to buy anything. And ambassador has a huge collection of sake and shochu. So today we'll talk about how the American sake and shochu market has changed in recent years, why more people are buying sake, and how to pick a good, good sake, and much, much more. Hello, Leonard. Welcome Hello. to Japanese. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, please tell us about Ambassador Wine and Spirits. And as I said earlier, it sounds like it's a very special liquor store. We're, we're very unusual. Um, just to lay the groundwork, in New York, um, every market is different. New York market is very unique in that we can only own one store. Um, other states, you'll see chain operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can use scale uh, to to bring product uh, to the market more efficiently. We can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, given the fact that everybody supposedly is uh, independently owned and operated, um, you have to be very unique. Mm-hmm. 
one of the problems that we have is that uh, the kind of the unwritten rule is that half or more of, than half lately of the stores in the market are um, owned by the same people under different names. And uh, the result is sort of a generic kind of cookie cutter store. Um, and, and we, you know, we, we've always not approved of it. So uh, one of the things we do is we, we, we don't, we, we go against the marketing mm. machines that are out there that cater to this type of store. Um, and one of those things is sake. Uh, it's something that uh, I have a passion for. Um, I have a passion for all food and, and beverage. Um, I met John Gautner, mm. uh, which a lot of people know in the sake industry. Right. Who about, came on the yeah, Japanese too? That's right. About yeah. 20, I'd say, oh my God, close to 20 years ago. Mm. And uh, he introduced me. And uh, since then, I, I, I was hooked. Wow. So uh, we started as uh, one of the things I wanted to do is create a, um, a comprehensive section of sake. I looked out there and said, nobody's really doing it. Mm. Um, I'd say the only place was in New Jersey at the time. Uh, and, and nobody who had any sake really was treating it properly. We wanted to showcase it and showcase it properly so we have a walk-in refrigerator. Mm. Um, this is indicative of what, what we do in, in just about everything. Okay. We, we're thorough. We, right. we want to have a good representation. So mm. if I have a section of, of Portuguese wine, there's going to be a very large cross-section. It's not simply, oh, I have five, six wines to represent that country. Mm. Uh, we have over 4,000 SKUs uh, in our store. And wow. um, it, it, it's a lot. <laughs> it right. really is. But um, there's a reason for it. We taste everything. My mm. staff and I, we sit down. Again, we're not just buying things that sell. We want to uh, have a reason for having it. Mm. And we also have a very, and this is this will appeal to the people who are who are listening, who are in our industry, um, because we stand alone and we are um, a single entity. Uh, we work with people who give us the best price on very small quantities, mm. and um, sake in particular uh, is excellent at this. Um, I, I, whether it's cultural or it's the way sake is sold in Japan, and then they came here, uh, we can get the best prices within about 5% on small quantities. So I know when I sell it to my customer. Mm. Um, so it sounds like you have a good trust. Yeah. You know, yeah. When I sell it to my customer, I know I'm going to give them a, a very fair price. You know, it's it's one thing when you look at a big store, and, and I use a store that I look up to tremendously, uh, like Aster, who is a single entity, who is a very large store. Their ability to purchase goods is is much higher than mine. You know, they uh, I would need ten of my stores to do what they do, maybe maybe fifteen mm. uh, in volume. So with that, they have scale. And if you take an item that uh, gives discounts based on that scale, you can't compete with people like that. So. We're very cautious about that. Mm. And sake is just perfect for us mm. because there really isn't a great deal of discount. Um, right. I, I think that's cultural. You know, the old uh, saying, if you can't give the best deal in the beginning, mm. then you're not quite trustworthy. You right. know, um, and, and so I, I think that follows through in the way sake is sold in the United right. States. And also I think the actual supply of sake producers, like artisanal sake producers, mm -hmm. they can't cut the price because they are already very thin. They're very margin. thin, and and I think they understand that they want distribution. They mm -hmm. they want to get into as many places as they can, and uh, as a result, they want to make it easier for stores mm. to purchase. So right now, because it's 
on the rise, but not as popular as other beverages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're going to see that across the board, right. no matter where you go. Okay. So we'll talk about uh, more sake specifically, but uh, before you, we go in there, mm-hmm. I heard that you have a very unique background before you go into your family <laughs> business. So could you tell us about that? Uh, wow. I, I'm a... Uh, molecular biologist, geneticist by trade. I graduated Stony Brook University. Uh, I was going to be a uh, military physician. Um, it's, it's a, yeah, how I got from there to here is, is a very long and, and evolved road. Um, but my background in chemistry and in uh, biology really helps me hmm. in understanding uh, the, the beverages that, that I taste. You know, I, we had talked earlier and I was mentioning to you that anyone who tastes the volume of, mm. of items that we taste in a single day will become very, very good over time. Um, but the reasons behind uh, what we're tasting, uh, why things taste the way they do based on how they're made, that's where the academics and my background really helps me. Mm. Um, it, it's it, it just you know when you understand the chemistry uh, in the fermentation and you understand how different uh, fermentation methods are are affecting the flavor, mm. it, it is an advantage. Uh, there there is no doubt. So um, not not to bore everybody, uh, we I went from uh, graduating and uh, and did many things, uh, ran laboratories and did some research. Um, mm. But I found my niche in uh, what I find is my passion, and right. that's that's what I do right now. Mm, interesting. So, I'm I'm really curious about that part. You know, the biochemistry applied to say like sake, right? Mm-hmm. So the fermentation. What what's the difference? Like, well, it, it, many people don't realize that sake is so unique in that it is fermented, mm. and then it's uh, then it's um, goes through a second process, very much like. Uh, or actually I say it's brewed, then fermented like wine. Um, and there are so many ways you can affect change in the process. I mean, all your, your, your home brewers will be jumping up and down when they say, oh, I can do this and I can do that mm-hmm. and I can change it. Um, you know, what's great about uh, sake world, um, that there are very good definitions uh, for the products. You'll see Komoto method, Yamahai method. These are all different methods of fermentation. And... Um, and they they have to do with timing, temperature. All these things come into play. Right. It's like a versus natural yeast um, versus Correct. artificial yeast and all the process and how the labor Absolutely. interrupts. We, we see it in wine when we think of uh, Shizuku or a trickle method. Mm. Um, that's analogous to uh, free-run juice right. uh, in, in, in wineries, um, non-pressed free run juice so there are many uh crossovers from the traditional wine Mm. uh in industry and sake um but i think uh the toughest part for a new york retailer because we are separate from beer in Mm. the new york market uh in the united in the united states every market has its own rules in new york um retail wine and spirits stores cannot sell beer that's a grocery item Oh, so it, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's a little more difficult for retailers um, in New York to grasp sake because I think it's a, definitely more foreign to them mm-hmm. than any other beverage. I think it's a much easier uh, transition if you're a beer uh, if you sell beer mm-hmm. um, than just plain wine and spirits because I think there's a tremendous amount in common uh, mm-hmm. and it has to do with storage. 
Right. Uh, you know, we have a walk-in refrigerator. A typical store in New York really doesn't make that effort, but they have to understand that many of the sakes are unpasteurized. Mm. Um, and, you know, the same reason uh, is the reason why recently New York retailers were able to start to sell, uh, in a large scale, ciders. Uh, for many years, ciders were ex- almost exclusively grocery, with the exception of a few. Mm-hmm. Many, many of the cideries had complained that the grocers weren't buying the craft stuff. Mm-hmm. They were buying the regular items. So y- y- you can see how um, cider and sake have had their sort of their, their problems in this market mm-hmm. because the, of the way um, it, it's separated. The licenses are separated. Right. Mm. So same as uh, not just sake, but uh, wine. Like, you know, if you be and wine side by side, probably they convert to each other, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little easier. You go to New Jersey, for instance, and everybody knows, you know, places like Mitsuo. Mm. Um, you know, it's a natural. I mean, they're a very large market. Mm-hmm. They Mitsuo sell, is a uh, Japanese market, the largest in this yeah, country, I think. I, I think it's probably the largest. Mm. Um, uh, there may be some in, in uh, San Francisco. Mm. I know the West Coast has some pretty large markets. Um, but the rules are different. They mm-hmm. can sell everything. You know, in our industry, um, you know, many, many uh, retailers look at someone like the wine library in New Jersey. Um, they can sell cheese. They can, we, 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 don't, we can't do that. <laughs> and uh, it, so it's um, anytime I can find something that um, we can sell mm. that makes us unique, uh, as as, a, as as an owner, um, and and I have, and of course, if we have passion for it. It's even better. Um, we want to bring that to the market whenever we can, because mm. we are so limited into what we can bring. Right. Okay. And of course, the Nabasa Wine Spirit is known for its super extensive, high quality products, and you know, range from wine, whiskey, and uh, craft spirits, not to mention sake and shochu. Mm-hmm. So, what is your philosophy or strategy in uh, kind of you know selling products? Again, the, one, one of the most important strategies is, do we like it? Mm. Is it correct? Uh, we always talk about varietal correctness in wine, and, and that extends itself throughout, throughout uh, our selections. Is it correct for what it should be? When someone picks up uh, a Cabernet, does it taste like a Cabernet? Is, mm. it, is it correct? That's one thing. Uh, the second one is the economics. We you know, talk about, um, I want to make sure that I'm competitive. And I'm competitive within maybe 3 to 5%. Um, we only work on about 30% on wine, about uh, 18 to 20% on spirits. Mm. And these are gross margins. Uh, they're not net. Um, so we're a volume-driven industry. We need to be uh, very cognizant of the pricing structure, especially now that everybody has mm. an iPhone or, or some sort of device where they can, what we call in the industry showcase, they can look at something and compare very rapidly. Um, we've uh, gotten to the point where because of our philosophy of purchasing, we can be a small store and present a tremendous range because I'm not fixed on buying a brand mm. and buying it deep just to bring it to the shelf at a competitive price. Right. An example is, is typical of, uh, and a lot of people don't want, to, want me to say this in the industry, but it's, we all know it. You, you take a brand uh, that's very popular, let's say a scotch like Johnny Walker, black. Um, I, I like the product. I have nothing wrong with the product. Um, we sell the double black. Um, but I can't sell the regular Johnny Walker black unless I buy 35 cases. Mm. And um, that is a tremendous 
stress on a small store right. because we also have to we also have to pay our bill exactly within 30 days. Mm. That is something people in in, uh, in 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 the real world don't understand. Um, if we don't pay our bill in 30 days, we're put on a COD list, and no one can ship you with credit until that's paid. Mm. So we're very careful. Um, the result is we have over 500 whiskeys mm. on our shelves. Uh, you know, you have over 200 sakes to choose from. Um, and it goes on and on. Uh, champagne. We specialize in small production champagnes. One of the great reasons, besides the fact that it's much more interesting, the quality is better, mm. uh, there's more variance in style, uh, is the fact that I don't have to buy a very large quantity. Right. If I want to buy Vauclicot, for instance, or Moet and Chandon, mm. it's 50 to 100 case commitment. Right. And that, you don't have to go to your, your place. It can be anywhere. So there's right. no reason exactly. to come to your so, place. So, you know, I, I try to speak to other people in our industry who are in the similar position I'm in. Mm -hmm. And every time we speak, you know, inevitably it comes up. How could you survive and be, you know, with, without these brands? And I say, well, if you have people on the floor who really are passionate about mm -hmm. what it is that they do, if you are really careful about what you select and you present just a blinding array, mm -hmm. people are going to come in here. And they're going to take notice, right. even if they're not an expert or someone in the industry. When you walk downstairs and, you know, you look in our champagne room and they say, well, you don't have these? And I say, no, but I have 90 plus producers. <laughs> the average store has maybe five, what I call the usual five right. and a couple domestic. So mm. it, 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 it's working. Right. It's hard. Mm. It's very hard. Well, and a lot of paperwork too. Do they? It, well, it, it, as a result, we work with about, I would say, on average every month, anywhere between seventy to a hundred different distributors. Wow. Um, it, it's it is a nightmare because it's a small check here, it's a small check there. It's, a, but you know, the work is worth it. Mm. it it's worth it. Um, I'll be one of the first people to sit down every year. It comes up. In our industry, people say, well, you know, the grocery stores may get wine. And I said, well, that's fine mm. because they're not going to sell what I sell generally. Right. We make that commitment. Mm. So then, you know, the one of the biggest selections, of course, is the sake and shochu. So I want to hear that, you know, what got you, like John Gontner convinced you how great it is. John, uh, I met John through a friend, a very good friend. And uh, he said, "Money, you know, you take care of everything in your store so well, but it, you don't have sake. And this was about, I'd say, almost 20 years ago. Mm. I said, well, you know, I never really tasted one I, I really liked. And he said, that's strange. He <laughs> said, there are so many good ones. And uh, I honestly hadn't, hadn't been exposed. Met John, uh, and we sat down, and he just, he laid into me. He said, you, there's a world out there that most people don't know about. And I said, well enlightened me and we sat down and, and we tasted we went through every categories and, and I was hooked mm -hmm. from there I said there is a world out there and I think people I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't present it mm -hmm. and present it well you know I tell people people who sell namasake on a shelf and not refrigerated is analogous to selling milk <laughs> you know, and, and, and putting it next to the boiler room. I, it just, it, 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 it was crazy what I was seeing. So I think we were one of the first, I'd say ourself, um, 
probably Aster at the time. Um, and there are a couple other stores since then who are uh, selling sake. But uh, I think we're one of the only ones that keep everything mm. cold. Uh, you know, some of them are pasteurized. We understand that. But they remain fresher. And this is where the grocer understands what I say the beer seller understands. They understand that beer can become tired or skunky, as we say. Mm. I think sake does the same thing. It shares those characteristics. If it's not kept in a cool place um, and, and kept properly, or if it's not turned over rapidly, mm. um, you know, it, it's most sakes don't age very well. Right. You well, want to have them fresh. It's like a rosé, people say. Right, it's in yeah. the season. You know, some of them do age. I mean, we have some sakes that are aged, and but they're the minority. Um, we also uh, make it a point not to order more than really four to six bottles, um, and and that's because of the space in the refrigerator. It is a walk-in, but you know, we we still are limited, um, and we want to make sure that it turns. Mm. You know, it's not um, as popular as we would like it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're we're not going to go through cases like we would uh, a wine product. Right. So we want to make sure it's, it's fresh. Mm, so if not, you have to drink it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So um, right now, what are your criteria in selecting sake and shochu? Like, you know, I mean, there are not the millions, but about 4,000. Yeah, there, there are, there are right so many um, and more and more are coming to the market. Uh, what people don't understand um, who haven't been to Japan is that most people will drink local or, or sakes that are made within their prefecture. Right. And uh, it's kind of rare to walk into a store within Japan. And if you are in Akita Prefecture and you will see sakes from all over, that, that's rare. Right. You will find sakes that are local. You'll see many, but they'll be there. Mm -hmm. In New York, um, we have a concentration. We're a focal point, like San Francisco, uh, where, where sakes, uh, I'm seeing sakes from everywhere mm. and we don't have a consistent sake clientele it's it's very um it's very spread out you have about half the sake produce uh, sake consumers who are from japan mm. uh, who are living in new york and they're going to be um i, I think their allegiance lies to where they're from Mm. We understand that. Uh, also, there are uh, sake producers from very popular areas. So that's one customer. The other customer is the American customer. And that customer has a different flavor profile. Mm. They're, a little, they're definitely more open because they have no, uh, no biases. Because mm -hmm. it's all new to them, or expectations. Right. But they tend to gravitate more towards the sake styles that are closer to what they're used to in wine. So you'll find sakes that have more of a melon or citrusy character mm. will be uh, far more appealing to the young sake drinker, the new sake drinker. Mm. I find uh, those rich, creamy sort of dairy elements and the earthiness um, is favored by the seasoned sake drinker. Mm. So um, it, we're, we're trying to appease and, 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 and make two really different uh, mm. sake consumers happy. Right. So that is, uh, so when you ask, well, what, what's our criteria? Um, we can start with those two. Mm. <laughs> and then we'll look at how many we can carry based on our space. Um, and we'll say, okay, we're going to have this many in this category, this many in this category, and, and in this size, because we, we do like 1.8 liter. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, people listening don't uh, already know, um, in Japan, the 1.8 liter is the best size because you get the most value. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, in in wine industry, you typically get about a ten or fifteen percent break if you get a larger bottle, but in in sake, it's about a thirty percent. Right. So if you're used, to, if you like something and you want to have it every day, or you want to buy more, mm. the one point eight liter is definitely right. the way to Versus go. Versus regular seven hundred twenty milliliters. So we we have to think about that. Mm. Um, we take our more popular items and we'll buy a one point eight if it's available. Mm. They're starting to become more popular here, but they still the seven twenty is pretty much the standard. In, right, in, but in also it doesn't fit in the regular shelf, right? <laughs> yeah, well, New, New York, New York, uh, New York uh, apartments are difficult because mm. the refrigerators aren't that large <laughs> and they are tall bottles. But uh, having a walk-in refrigerator. We were able to design one entire wall mm. that's about, uh, I'd say, about eleven and a half feet high, by about ten uh, feet long, and about mm. uh, tw- two feet deep. That caters entirely to one point eight liters. Wow! So we can have fifty to sixty one point eight liter uh, 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 sakes um, at any one time. Maybe if maybe a few more during the holiday. We use the top shelf, so it is that. That was um, when we first opened uh, and we started carrying sake. It was really only 720. Our refrigerator at the time couldn't handle it. When we built the new sake refrigerator about four or five years ago, um, it, we 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 kept that in mind. Mm. So, by the way, how many labels do you have sake and shochu? We average um, about 150 to 200. Uh, the reason why I say average, many of the productions are draft,、mm. so they come in and we get what we. Can get and、right. then it's gone.、Mm. Uh, we we try to rotate the seasonals and and you know what people have to understand. Many of these producers are very small,、mm. um, especially the ones we carry because we're, we're you know we do have some brands,、uh, big brands like Kikusue or or something like that. But then we also have very very small producers like Shishida,、mm. and and these you know the smaller producers may not have everything available all the time,、mm. and and so.、Uh, From one fifty to two hundred, I think is a safe、that's, is a safe safe estimate. Huge, it's huge.、Um, it really is. It's it's a lot to keep up.、Um, mm. We、uh, I just hired、uh, someone to kind of take the load off me a little bit, and he's taken a keen interest.、Uh, his name is Mike Mahoney, and Michael is、uh, just came back from Japan,、mm. and、uh, he took his first trip there and and saw the process up close, and he is also in charge of our cider. So, like I said, there's a. I find for some reason the cider, beer, and sake.、Um, mm. That consumer seems to gravitate in in in, in those circles as opposed to wine.、Mm. Uh, and, and Michael has a very good grasp of cider, and he's learning about sake.、Uh, and he has again. If I find someone on my staff who has a passion for something、mm. um, above and beyond, I I, I will. Let them run with it. Right, interesting because、uh, sake, cider, and beer—they are all becoming craft. Yeah. Right, value-added. Absolutely. So Absolutely. they are like the—it's not just alternatives,、uh, but it's like a style of the times. It is.、Right? Absolutely. But speaking of,、uh, maybe you can give us an overview of the sake and shochu market, like a trend in this, this country. I I would say、um, it's growing slowly. I think the biggest.、Uh, Impediment to larger growth is really、um, our system. We have a three-tier system in place in the United States,、um, and it's、uh, it it has its advantages and its disadvantages.、Mm. Um, the disadvantages are that you have many companies that become entrenched. You have、um, national distributors that can really. 
keep products out of a market mm. just simply by their size. If they choose not to take you or, uh, you know, there, there's no one else to go to um, or else, you know, your only alternative is to go to a very small company mm. and hope that they can they can service you properly. Uh, and right now, most of my sake comes from Japanese companies that are also in food. Mm. So you'll see uh, uh, people like Wismetic or Mutual Trading, mm -hmm. uh, JFC. Right. These are all companies that also sell food mm. um, and, and now have sake. Whereas the traditional distributor uh, in, in New York, I could speak for New York, but around the country tends to just be, uh, you know, like, like the, the largest is probably Southern Beverage. They do have a good sake selection um, and it's growing. They're understanding it, and they're you know they're they're doing the best they can, um, but it's again when you're dealing with a very large company versus a very small, the small company can be much more nimble, mm -hmm. and in a market where not where maybe less than five percent of the people uh, who you're trying to sell it to actually purchase it, the big house may not be the best mm -hmm. house. It, you know maybe the big producer would like the big house because they're a little more generic. Um, so that is the biggest impediment. It's our system. Mm. Um, the other one, I can only speak for New York, uh, is the retailer in New York. The retailer in New York has to make a commitment if they want to sell sake in, a, in, 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 in the right manner. Mm. If they want to have growth, they have to have it, uh, have the better sakes refrigerated. Nice. They have to be cognizant of the turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's, you know, uh, I had a friend of mine who owns a store and we used to meet for lunch when I was near his place and we sat down and he's, he looked at me one day and he was looking on his shelf and he said, you know, that, that, that sake up there, I don't understand. Why is it yellow? And I, I looked at him and I said, well, there's a, what's equivalent to a born on date on the front. Could you tell me what date that is? And he looked at me and he's reading it and, uh, he said, Wow. I said, that's about four years old. I said, yes. <laughs> I said, that's the reason why it's yellow, and you really want that off your shelf. Um, yeah, by definition, it's uh, koshu, like yeah, old sake. Exactly. It, you've made koshu. Um, you know, and, and many years ago, because the majority of people who were buying sake were from Japan, they would come into a store, and they would look at that, and they wouldn't say anything they would just politely say no thank you and mm. would never come back to that store for sake. Right. And, and in fairness, the retailer did not know. Uh, today, I think there's much more information out there. Mm. And uh, the retailer has no excuse. Um, if they are going to sell sake, they, they should do their homework. Mm. Um, the grocer, I have to say, because I've seen them in other states, um, they're far more, I, I think they're far more with it. Mm. Uh, when it when it comes to that, because they're used to beer, there they, beer there is a turnover issue, right. there is a refrigeration issue. Um, they understand that, mm. so they're not going to sell all these craft beers and keep them sweating on a shelf. Right. So versus wine and spirits, they can exactly. keep there forever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, but sounds like sake sales has been growing. They, it's right? been growing, and and the growth is really because of. The what we call the on-premise, um, your restaurants, mm -hmm. the the growth of fusion cuisine, of uh, chefs and uh, and and psalms looking at sake in the, in this category and and expanding it, mm -hmm. saying you know we can have sake with non-traditional foods, 
Um, and, and people have this in their mind that I'm only going to have sake with sushi. And I, it just makes me crazy. <laughs> I, I, I can think of so many pairings. And um, that's what's happening. And that's what's fueling the growth. People go to a restaurant. They, um, they, they taste a sake that is well-kept. And, and it's, it's as fresh as it should be. And uh, they're having it with foods they're more familiar with every day. And they're saying, wow, I can, I can, I would like to drink this every day. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what's fueling, I think, the, the, the growth. Right. Because unfortunately, um, it's not within the retail it's not within. It's not the retailer that's mm. doing it. Uh, sometimes I feel like I stand alone. Um, I, there are a few, I should say, about about five. And when you consider how many stores are just in the metro area, mm. and there's only a handful, uh, that that tells you the uphill battle right. sake producers have. Mm. I mean, some sake producers have said, you know, I've had people who want to bring my product in, but I walked in their store and they have no refrigeration. I'm not going to sell it to them. I have to by law, but I'm not. You know, I really don't want to. Mm. Um, that's a problem. Right. It's a big problem. Mm, interesting. And then those uh, successful sommeliers and restaurants, they educate consumers and they realize, like, oh, sake is something Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. It's it's uh, it's just broadening people's uh, perspective and, and saying that this is just another. Uh, form of, of, of uh, alcoholic beverage that goes very well with food. Mm. Uh, have this like you would a wine. Right. Uh, you know, I tell people, you know, put it in a white wine glass. Some of your better sakes, your kinjo and daikinjo. Um, I, I just prefer most of my sakes in, in something like a, a wine glass because I want to get the aromatics. 90% of what we taste is through our our sense of smell right. and uh, you have to have the right glass mm. so it sounds like uh, we need to educate retailers and absolutely and 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 it again it comes back to the fact that unfortunately um and and it's a problem uh, and i've been very vocal about it within uh within the retail community is that you have many stores that are cookie cuttered that are you know they're they're owned unfortunately by by uh, one entity under different names, and they want to put the same thing in every store. And so when half your stores are doing that and they decide to only carry brands, mm. you're not, as a, as, as, as a boutique item or craft item, you're not going to do well. I mean, uh, craft, in, when it comes to spirits, is in right now. So, of course, people have jumped on the bandwagon. Mm. Uh, we've been selling uh, craft whiskey for years. Uh, I've known Julian Van Winkle and the family for years before they sold it. Um, you know, these are items that people couldn't give away, and now they're they're just they're just crawling the walls for it. Uh, <laughs> I laugh because these these are things that I sold cases of, mm. uh, and and uh, you know, so this this is um, you know those types of stores will only do what's trendy. Right. They need to make a commitment, and, mm. and so that leaves the remaining stores. Right, and, and the, yeah. their efforts would make our consumers happy. Oh, so. I, I, I think so. Right. I, I think the efforts would, would you know, make the consumer happy, but it also demands that you have to have people on the floor mm. who understand the product. Right. You know, many stores you walk into, if they're brand-driven, the advantage of a brand-driven store is that the brand speaks for itself. Right. Most people who walk in there know it, they feel comfortable, mm. and they, they purchase it right away. They not really don't ask many questions. Mm. So these stores invest in that, 
and not in their staff. Mm-hmm. As long as they're courteous and able to you know, ring up the sale, that's as far as they go. It's right. really just two different types of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of retail operation. Okay, right. So uh, our past guests like uh, Tim Sullivan, Tizconica, uh, Hilton, those people are educating retailers too, but we need more of them. We, we, need, we just need more retailers who, are, who have a passion for it, who right. really care about what they sell. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Economics is a very big issue. Um, right. we, we all have to, at the end of the day, make money. Mm. And uh, but it's it's again it's 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 finding that that balance. Right. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about how to pick a great sake at liquor store. So please stay okay. with us. And this one's called Relax, It's Just the End of the World by Taxstar. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Leonard Phillips, who is the owner of Ambassador Wines and Spirits in Midtown, which opened 43 years ago. Leonard took over the business in 2008 and made it into one of the best liquor stores in New York City. So,、um, some of my non Japanese friends say sake labels are very hard to read, so they are discouraged to buy one. But some others say Japanese characters are so cool, so they like mysterious labels. Well, so, what's your advice to sake and shoji producers to design? Outside, of, outside of learning kanji、um, <laughs> or memorizing a few key characters,、uh, if, if a store has a serious selection, Mm. And they take care of it. Ask the people there.、Uh, if you come into our store,、uh, that's, that is the service we provide.、Mm. Uh, the first thing we ask is what kind of food are you going to have with it? How are you serving it?、Right. Um, what are your preferences? Do you prefer something? Are you having it as an aperitif?、Mm. Are you serving it with a certain per- or a particular food?、Uh, what do you like、uh, typically in wines? What, what do you like? So we try to draw parallels.、Uh, and, and after about Three, four minutes, we can get an idea of what it is you like. One of the philosophies that we have is it doesn't matter how expensive or how good a product is or, or what accolades it receives. If you don't like it, it isn't worth a thing.、Mm. 
So it's very important that we come to, uh, you know, understand what it is you like and how you're using it. So if someone comes to me and say, I'm having a casserole or I'm having uh, something very rich, Mm. I will suggest something that's a little more traditional um, and not necessarily uh, a higher grade sake. And that's something that people um, automatically tune to. They say, ooh, I want the daiginjo or ginjo. Um, it's nice. They mm-hmm. do usually do represent the best of a house, but sometimes uh, less is more. Mm. If, if I particularly, if you're having a particular food that I feel a regular junmai lends itself uh, as a better pairing, mm. I will recommend right. that. So, yeah, the listeners are not familiar with the term. So, junmai is less polished. The Correct. rice is remaining more. That mm-hmm. means it may be more economical for the producers, but it contains more elements to express umami or other Correct. minerals. It usually, um, they typically may have a higher acidity mm-hmm. or, or amino acidity. Um, so you have, you know, it may not be as soft. Usually it isn't. But for a dish that has a high fat content, mm-hmm. it may be the right thing. Right. So if you have something, uh, you know, using a, a, let's say a fish, and you have something like a mackerel, mm-hmm. It's, it's oily. It's intense. It's strong, um, versus a uh, a very flaky whitefish. Mm. Um, that flaky whitefish will lend itself, I think, uh, better to something delicate. Right. So I may want to go to a much lighter style. Mm. Even um, uh, you know, like a fatty wagyu beef. Correct. Because the wagyu's oil, I heard uh, the melting point is lower. Is much lower. Correct. Right. So the robust jumai would be even better than the exactly. Like the tonic or or, or um, one of my favorite uh, and typically they, they tend to be many ginjo grade yamahai. Um, yamahai is a longer, cooler fermentation, and they tend to make much richer style sake. Mm. And so I, I would recommend a yamahai. Um, and and then I'll ask them, well, what is your preference? Do you want to have something warm or room temperature? Or do you prefer... It's a different sensation. Mm. Uh, and and that's, that's what's interesting about sake. Having a, uh, a second aspect uh, to things outside of just the typical flavor profile, it gives it a, an additional dimension. Um, Japanese producers are, are really quite in tune with umami, understanding, uh, you know, one of the aspects of nigori sake, it's not just that it's typically sweeter, mm. that it has this, this texture. Right, so nigori for savory quality. It's like um, unfiltered. Correct. So there is like a lactic element. Yeah, it, there is. Mm-hmm. It, it almost, as I say, a creamy, a creaminess. Mm. Um, we often associate this in the wine world with malactic fermentation. Mm. Uh, typically, you notice it on, on white wines where where uh, a very popular New World style is to have 100% ML, as they say. Mm. It's very creamy and buttery. Mm, um, removing uh, the sharp acidity. Exactly. So you only enjoy the buttery the flavor. Sake in itself has a much lower acidity than wine. So um, I think that savoriness is, is amplified mm. because it has a much lower acidity. Typical acidity of about 1.8 on a scale um, is nothing compared to, let's say, a Riesling that's in the upper 9 to 10 uh, level or, or a typical wine that's at about 5 or 6. These are orders of magnitude. Mm. And, and so being that the acid levels are much lower, um, the, the, the savory 
qualities do come out more and I think are more apparent. And many people often mistaken acidity uh, for dryness. Mm. Uh, and, and this is where the sake meter value is uh, so important because mm-hmm. it relates density. Right. So sake meter better sometimes or more often mm-hmm. it's on the back label. Correct. Right. And, and this is an indication uh, and it's a correlation. It's a broad indication to dryness. Mm. So if the sake meter value is, is really uh, density, um, but they realize that that also, if you have an SMV value that's above five, your perception is much drier. Mm. So when we see uh, karakuche dry, it's usually about a plus seven, and dai karakuche is anything over ten. Mm. Um, and then as you get to about, uh, I, I would say about one to two, uh, it's neutral. Mm. Uh, and and what's interesting about this value, uh, I could take a novice sake drinker and give them three or four sakes of different SMV value and tell them after they taste it, now that is seven, that is five, and then give them something that they know nothing about, they can pretty much, within about one or two, tell you what that SMV is oh, generally. Wow. It is very accurate. And, and I, I, that was one of the things that, uh, one of the first things that John uh, Gautner taught me uh, was the SMV mm-hmm. and um, so sake meter? Yeah, yeah. it's it's a very very helpful mm-hmm. uh, gauge, and again, it it really showcases the just the the length at which the sake producer goes mm-hmm. to understanding the product and trying to relate that to to the consumer. Okay, right. So what you can find on the back label um, sake mm-hmm. here in the U.S. I think sake meter value. Hopefully, most 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 people are putting it in English. Um, it's usually on the front, but you have to know a little bit of kanji. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but and typically, you'll, you'll see a, a, a plus and, and, and a number. Mm. And, and it's not always true, but even if you don't know the kanji, you can kind of pick it out. Right. You know, it's there. Mm. But if you uh, memorize the, the, the kanji for that, they, right. it's easier to find. But quickly, going back mm. to that, you know, the uh, Japanese character label versus non, like, you know, visible in the standard. Which one is selling? It, it's, it's interesting. I, I believe in tradition. Um, there is nothing more traditional uh, in, in, in Japanese culture, or one of the few, that is uniquely Japanese than sake. Mm. And, and so, being a traditionalist, I believe that this label should remain the same. However, the back label should give you more information. And I have been with uh, Mike Simkin at uh, Shishishima. Mm. He brings that in. And uh, we talked about this before he started representing them. And, and he really took what I said to heart. And you look at the back of every label mm. that he has uh, on the products he brings in, and it's wonderful. It gives you everything you want to know. Mm. And so that's helpful. And yet the front is still traditional. Mm. And so I think it's a nice balance. Right. Yeah, actually, Kenji Chima, which Chima, um, he came on the oh, show, too. Oh, that's wonderful. So, but the, his mind is more, like, open, Western market-minded, even an Asian market, mm-hmm. too. So that's kind of model. Uh, I, I, I think it should be the model. I, I think we can, um, you know, we go through a process bringing things to our market. Uh, you have to present the labels, mm. and and they have to be presented to the TTB, and for a label approval. Well, you're going through all that effort to do this. Why not just make a back label that shows everything? Mm. Um, it, it's not that difficult. Mm. There's so much work going into it already. Reach a little more and and 
put that back label on right. there. Well, they have to produce uh, the English one anyway, mm. so just exactly. throw in one data, two data yeah. elements. Uh, absolutely, and and I think it would make all the difference. It would, it would help, mm. especially in those places, unfortunately, who... May be selling sake and, and have no one there to explain it to them. Mm. Um, it would make it a lot easier. Right. Okay. So this is uh, the last question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you predict the sake and shochu market in the next like three, five, ten years? I, I think it will grow steadily, um, it, it, unless we run into something where there is it, where something is very trendy, mm-hmm. uh, shochu. Um, had, had gone through that sort of trendy phase uh, in Japan, mm. and um, and and I, I don't think um, sochu will be as trendy because uh, we have so much vodka here. Right. And uh, but again, as long as we keep doing what we're doing, and uh, and we we grow within the food. Industry, um, and, and that's all aspects, uh, whether it's uh, retailers or, or restaurateurs, we will see a steady growth. I, I think you'll see a steady growth of three to five percent per year. Um, that, that's my prediction. Mm, I mean, but it, it makes sense because the food is globalized and the so exactly. should be the beverage. Exactly. Industry. It'll follow suit um, unless a very large company takes a really big, big uh, uh, position mm. and, and spends you know a great deal of money um in marketing mm. to to make it this this massive item um i, I think it's just going to grow slowly right. and it'll hit an inflection point where enough people are aware mm. of of sake and understand it that it'll it'll finally right. reach that point mm. I am so glad that you are still exist and you're such an ambassador. Thank you. <laughs> so where's uh, the location of your store? We're located on 1022nd Avenue. That's the corner of 54th and 2nd. Uh, you'll see a big blue awning. Mm. Um, we're, a, we're a real unique, unique place. Mm. Please come by. Yeah. Look well, forward to seeing you. Yeah. Okay, listeners. So you get educated by going there and have fun. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And have fun. Okay. So thank you for joining us today, Leonard. Thank you. So, uh, listeners, if you'd like to know more about uh, Leonard's shop, please visit uh, the Ambassador of Wine. Uh, Ambassador of Wine. Sorry, the Ambassadors of Wine. Ambassadorwines.com. Correct. Right. Okay. And uh, what does the S Ambassador S of Wine? No, it's no? just it's just ambassadorwines.com. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I just copied the, the link, but yeah, you can ah. just Google. Um, Google it. Wine yes. Spirits. Okay. All right. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, also suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at Heri- uh, JapanEats at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And JapanEats is live at 3, ma- 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher Podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write the review. We really appreciate your feedback. And today's show was made possible by Corinne and our engineer is David Tetsuore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.